Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we needed a break week. On today's episode, we're taking a quick break and reviewing something we both more or less knew already, even if neither of us had seen it in 25 years. It's Rift's World Book 3, England. Come along with us to the mini scepter dial where, honestly, it's all fucking scepters. There's too many goddamn scepters. And the, the island itself, mostly bugs and plant blobs. It's, uh... It's a thing, but we'll get into that thing, and we'll talk about it on System Mastery. You know what, John? Before we go any further, I think it's time for us to briefly mention announcement mastery where people can purchase ads to be read on our show oh and it doesn't even need to be an ad you can purchase whatever you want to be said on our show that's true you can just buy airtime it's straight up payola it's ridiculous we ought to be stopped <laughs> there ought to be a law about this <laughs> but who's who's going to stop us <laughs> not you <laughs> who could stop us now <laughs> i'd like to see you try no, please don't. But anyway, realistically, if you give us 50 bucks and there's a link on our website, systemmasterypodcast.com, uh, we will read ads or uh, heartfelt messages. We've done a marriage proposal. We've done a lot of really nice messages from people to other people. And uh, today's no exception. I've got another one lined up for you right here, right now, and they've asked me to read it. Well, great, because, you know, fuck me, am I right? Uh, hey, they get, they use you for when they need sexy stuff. They need me for when it's funny because I did a bad job. Ah. <laughs> so, here I go. <clears throat> get my uh, announcer-style voice on. <clears throat> yes. Oh, too far back. Nope. <laughs> we talk a lot about D&D butt here on System Mastery, and there's no bigger D&D butt than mine. It's huge. I have a huge D&D butt. I'm sorry. And there's no bigger D&D butt than Pathfinder. It's D&D, but with well-written published adventures that are LGBTQ for, uh, plus inclusive, uh, research and respect cultural source materials, and consistently create interesting NPCs with motivations that bring the whole story to life. I actually don't know that. I, brief digression. I've never read any Pathfinder at all. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, all I've heard is uh, one review of one adventure, and it wasn't great, but sure. I, I, I've heard a lot of really good things about second edition Pathfinder from a lot of people, but it is a blind spot. To, I have to be honest with you. Uh, with their new second edition rule set, Pathfinder has addressed many issues often discussed on this podcast, such as balanced, an, uh, balanced ancestries that mitigate, mitigate, gosh, such as Jeez, balanced, balanced ancestries. I know I'm the worst. I don't know why they didn't hire you with right? your smooth, dulcet tones. With my ability to read and speak at the same time. Ah. Uh, God, you make me so jealous sometimes. <laughs> what, hmm. Such as balanced ancestries that mitigate racial destiny problems and well-designed classes that provide interesting choices to players on every level and round of combat. See, how's that? That's great. However, it can be difficult to find a digital character builder that is easy to use and lets you uh, jump directionally, uh, directly into the action. Thankfully, there's Tabletop Unchained to help you make fun characters and play great games of Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Tabletop Unchained is a quick, easy-to-use Excel file that helps you create characters while giving you just enough narrative to know where they fit in the Pathfinder universe. It takes you through the steps of character creation quickly, 
by only displaying what matters based on your prior choices. At the end, you are given a digital character sheet that organizes your combat abilities, exploration feats, and social actions into different sections to reduce the amount of page flipping required during gameplay. Even better, Tabletop Unchained helps you level up and gear up your character, transferring information from character creation to higher level choices and multi-class dedication feats. All bonuses to your abilities will be updated automatically, and feats improving on related actions are collected in the same place. As of September 2020, you can bring your character up to level 6, with expansion to level 14 planned before the end of the year. If at all interested, I encourage you to take a look and download Tabletop Unchained, at Kofi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash tabletop unchained. No prior knowledge of Pathfinder or D&D is needed, and no payment is required, so you have nothing to lose by checking this out. For game masters and players that like to explore their options, Tabletop Unchained will save you hours of flipping through rulebooks and tedious math. For most other players, Tabletop Unchained will reduce leveling up your character to a few minutes and produce a fully updated character sheet. After making a character or two, consider supporting the continued development of Tabletop Unchained. You can click the support button at the top of the Ko-Fi page. Is that, is that pronounced Ko-Fi? For just, what do you think? Coffee. Coffee? It's coffee? Okay. At the coffee? top of the coffee, coffee, coffee page. It's coffee. 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 Is it coffee? I, is it Kofi? Like the, the, the world leader? No, like the wrestler. No? Oh, okay. It's Kofi like the wrestler. <laughs> For just five. Is that the same guy? I yes, hope that's the same obviously guy. it is. Yeah. Oh, Kofi Annan off the top turnbuckle. <laughs> Everybody knows the new day is led by Kofi Annan. <laughs> For just $5, you can make a real difference in the future of this project. Again, if any of this interests you, please take a look and download at ko-fi.com slash tabletop unchained. That's kofi.com slash tabletop unchained. Thank you. And John, thank you. Let's get and back to the you. show. Yeah. No, no, thank you. No, no, no by no. all means, sir. No. No. No, fuck you and thank you. God damn it. Okay, back to the show. Blessed be this moot, lords and ladies. We're going to talk about England for a while. My name is Jeff, and I am joined, as always, by your co-host, John, right here on System Mastery, the show where we don't skip the introduction. John, how are you? I'm doing great, but... You should note that it isn't just England we're talking about. We're actually talking about Scotland and Wales and Ireland. Okay, fine. It's, well, it's the UK book, but they didn't want to call it Riff's World Book United Kingdoms and Ireland. Oh, no. The the intro from Kevin is, uh, why is it called Riff's England? You do other things besides England. He's like, because it wouldn't sound good. Fuck you. And then immediately says, yeah. and I mean... Riff's World Book 3, The British Isles, actually sounds pretty good, but, uh... I... Yeah. <laughs> it would have been better. I don't know why he went with England. I find it especially amusing because I, when you look at the world books from the old Riff set in order, and this, by the way, is a 93 one, uh, the first two don't have just, like, a place name. At least, I mean, one of them does, but it's a fantastic place name. So you've got Riff's World Book 1, Vampire Kingdoms, which... Until you read it, you don't even know that that's South and Cent or, or uh, Mexico and Central America. Uh, and then you've got Riff's World Book Two, Atlantis, and you're like, "Holy shit, that's not even a place. That's exciting." Huh? Uh, but then Riff's World Book Three, I don't know, England. It's just England, and that 
It shall remain from then on. And the worst part is, it's going to go on like that, because the book after this is ostensibly, potentially, the worst Riffs book ever written, which I don't think he, either of us is qualified to even begin to tell you how many different ways Riffs Africa is a fuck-up. Yeah. I mean, England really establishes what they're going to do from then on with like, oh, we're just doing a book full of stereotypes and to then immediately go to Africa and be like, haha, but where in Africa, you know, Africa, Egypt and the rest of it. <laughs> it's not like it matters anyway. Rifts Africa is largely just a big story about four giant unstoppable demon monsters. It's got very little to do with Africa proper. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, we're not reviewing Africa right now, so we don't need to get into it. But yeah, it's real bad. It's real, real bad. And you know what? We've got plenty of bad to go around because we did just read Riff's England, which uh, not great. No. I'm going to be honest, not great. It feels, I mean, as long as we're talking about all the world books in the Gestalt, Vampire Kingdoms felt like it had a point and a plot and a structure to it, right? Yeah. When see, you read it, you're like, the, it's a story. Yeah, the the Vampire Kingdoms was before he was like, oh, I'm just doing place names. I'm just filling in the map. He was like, oh, there's, I had this idea for, like, an entire vampire-infested area and what that would look like, and, you know, where it's set is basically Mexico, but that's not important. What's important is what I'm doing. And even Atlantis was like, yeah, I don't really have anything I'm beholden to do with Atlantis, so I've got it turned into like a weird interdimensional marketplace run by a tentacle eyeball monster. And you're like, cool, great. But with England, it's like Symbita just sort of stopped and went, I don't, I don't know. It's got England stuff. There's King Arthur's <laughs> there. And I don't know. Druids. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of gone. One, it, it, it's a fluctuation. Like half the uh, half the Rift's world books going forward from here are just uh, here's some dumb stereotypes. You, you, Rift's Japan. You like ninjas? What if there were, I don't know, cyber ninjas? Uh, you like dragons? What if they were like cyber dragons? It's Rift's Japan. Oh, and feudalism is back. Ha ha ha. Fuck you. Um, but but also there's occasional ones like Rift's Underseas or Triax in the NGR where they really do try to do something different with this with the area yeah and i think most of that is with something like say rifts under seas it's because you don't have like ah uh, yes the kingdom of underseas so we have you know a stereotype to go after whereas if you're doing something like rifts england or rifts japan or whatever you're like oh yeah no i know all i need to know it's uh samurai yeah. guys and druids yeah sure whatever fuck it We've got it. Yeah. Cut, print, go. Also, this book suffers by being written by Simbita himself. Uh, Rifts Under Seas, uh, well, not the best book in the world, at least was written by Corella, who's one of the few people that it felt like Simbita let off the leash a little bit. Yeah, finally. Someone yeah. let him so out of his cage. <laughs> well, time for him is nothing, John. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so we open this one in the classic old Rift style of a long, boring story about Aaron Tarn, uh, the only person in the Rift's Earth who never seems to encounter any of the problems with it. Oh, God. Aaron Tarn is just the absolute worst character because it's just, what is this? Oh, it's like a old lady 
who wanders around the most dangerous parts of Rift's Earth, but everywhere she go, everyone's like, I know who you are already, because you're famous, and we love you. Here's presents. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. She's just an old lady wandering around getting gifts. Uh, and for a long time in the Rift storyline, I mean, I remember liking Aaron Tarn when I was a kid, because I was like, any Rift's NPC that's not just a bad guy of the race that was introduced in that book, I'm I'm like, neat, this is cool, a good guy. That's why I'm still kind of appreciate characters like Laszlo or Lord Coke or, uh, or or Aaron Tarn, but she is boring on the main. She's basically a wandering blogger, Margaret Thatcher, who everywhere she goes, they're like, here, have more things for free. Oh, yeah, because she wrote a book once, and now everyone reads her book, even though it's the post-apocalypse, and where are they getting this book from? Uh, yeah, so she just finished up with the Vampire Kingdoms, uh, and then she, for some reason, lets someone send her through a dimensional rift. The idea was that she was going to take a shortcut to more of Mexico, but she ended up, and not in England, but first in the dimension book, the first dimension book of rifts, Wormwood. Uh, Coming a, a very soon. Interesting Be place. sure to check out your local store for rifts, Wormwood. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Wormwood is one of those books where you either play entirely in it or you just don't touch it at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least with some of the other Dimension books, they were like, oh, here's some some nifty things. And if you go like Dimension hopping, you can kind of use some of this. But Wormwood is just, what's this? Uh, it's a shitty planet that sucks. And if you go there, uh, great. <laughs> it's also one of those places where if you go there, all your shit stops working and you have to get uh, other shit from them instead. So basically, you have to play ball by Wormwood rules if you go there. So it's not fun. Yeah, you can't just be like, oh, I showed up in Wormwood where basically everyone is just sort of primitive medieval levels and everything sucks. But I have a glitter boy, so I take over the whole planet. Yeah, except that doesn't work because the moment you get there, your glitter boy starts like falling apart because you're not on you're not on regular planet. You're on creepy dimensional Christian overtones worm planet. Yeah. It's time for you to get a weird mask and a sword and get out there and fight people. Yeah. So anyway, she stops by there very briefly and describes it just a tiny bit. I believe Wormwood is a book is actually older than Riff's England. Nope. So it. No. It, no, I thought it was. I thought it, it was 92. Oh, I thought oh, Wormwood well. came out after this. No, I think it came out the year before. It was after after uh, World Book Two Atlantis, but before this. Huh. Uh, but anyway, I mean, what do I know? That was 28 years ago. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> so she just has a lovely old time in merry old England. Why, she arrives smack dab in the middle of Stonehenge, she does. Uh, I mean, that that's actually not a big surprise. Stonehenge is apparently the world's most powerful ley line nexus. I mean, uh, and so yeah. Obviously, it's the kind of place that if you're lost in a dimensional rift series, you're going to get magnetized into. But and lucky Hirsch, like basically all of the British Isles are too many leyline nexuses. It's oops, all leylines in the British Isles. Yes, yeah. the The British Isles differentiate them on a broad scale. the 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 UK differentiates itself from the rest of Rift's Earth by being largely magic and magical dimensional beings and fairies and stuff like that, as opposed to having one monolithic human civilization building robos. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, is there still a human civilization here building robos? Oh, of course. Of course there is. There's a point at the beginning of the book where, where Simbita in his foreword is like, I wasn't planning on putting a kingdom of humans building human robos here, but I did anyway when I had a great idea. My great idea was, what if a big human city? Yeah, his whole thing was like, I wasn't planning on putting King Arthur and Merlin in here, but I did because I'm a hack. Right. Well, he he claims he had a wonderful and interesting way to include them. And I don't know if you want to spoil that now. Uh, the, The way in which they are included is that Merlin, the Lady of the Lake, and Guinevere are all a single alien intelligence pretending to be three people so they can kind of manipulate a lot of humans to do their bidding as part of a grand plan. Yeah. The the plot with New Camelot is very weird. It doesn't add up to much, and once you've read a bunch of Riff's books, it's just another thing you can mark off on the bingo card. Like, uh, is there a society led by a secret alien intelligence that that acts good but is evil? Great. Put a check mark down. Hmm. So that's, uh, is there a dude derived from a historical figure, but his name's been made stupid so you don't feel quite as hacky when you're writing it? Yes, there's a guy in this world named King Arthu. God. The problem I have is, (laughs) if you want to do that... Fine, whatever. But Merlin in particular became Merlin, and it's the original Merlin. The actual Merlin from legend was this, like, splintered life essence of a uh, intelligence from beyond. And then went into hibernation, basically, when the power of the rifts went down. And then woke back up and was like, time to do the same old shit again. And I'm like, why mm-hmm. would you change the spelling of your name then? Just be oh, like, he did. yeah, he's, it's Merlin. He's, al- <laughs> he's always been Merlin. It's just that, you know, over the years, the uh, the Welsh naming convention of his early name fell wildly out of favor. And so when he came back, he claimed it, even though we'd all been like, fuck that. I'm not spelling a- your name with three Y's in a row. This <laughs> isn't a Star Trek convention. Get your shit together. Also, he looks like a Planet of the Apes guy. I don't think he's supposed to. I think he's supposed to just look like a wizard, but they fucked up his beard real bad in the arts, so he looks like Dr. Zaius. Yeah, there's some real problems with the art on him in particular, where the shading got done just a little too heavily to the point where you're like, are you, wait a minute, are you, a, are you Dr. Zaius? What's, hold on. He's definitely Dr. Zayas. And it's supposed to be that he's he was the original Merlin looking exactly like this, which means that we've added that to the Merlin, the old King Arthur storyline as well, that, ah, yes, my wizard, who was some sort of ambulatory ape fellow. Hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> and it says, it's not even really that much of an accident because there's two art pieces of him in this book and they both have the same problem. <laughs> They give him monkey face twice. Double the monkey face, double the pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, the whole, the new Camelot shits the stuff at the end of the book, and it's just like, hey, here's kind of the intrigue point at which your your party might want to go on an adventure where they can't change anything. Uh, To do that, you're going to meet all these, you know, NPCs named things like Boars and Percival, but it's not Percival, it's pure Sival. Which... 
I was so annoyed that going through it, they're like, oh, we had to change the spelling on everything. Anyway, Lady Guinevere is just spelled Guinevere. Yeah, Lady Guinevere did not have any changes. I, I was kind of looking forward to how Celticified they could try and make that name. Yeah, no. Nope. Maybe it probably, just, I mean, you know what? I bet they tried and someone just pointed out that what they came up with is Driz cat name. <laughs> oh, no, like, we've la- named it Lady Guinevere. <laughs> that feels like it's taken and copyrighted. Oh, no. Well, too late to change anything back but the original. So let's just put in art that makes her look exactly like Tasha Yar. <laughs> It's 1993. Tasha Yar was hot. So that's what she looks like. She's got Tasha Yar face and hair. She's Denise Crosby right here on the, on the uh, fields of Rift's Earth. Hooray. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's your standard, again, with the bingo card for Rift's. The new Camelot thing is like, oh, here's an intrigued organization that you can get involved with. Can we do anything to them? Oh, God, no. There's three alien intelligences running the whole thing. They have a whole army of evil ghost knights in super power armor where if you fight them more of them will show up so don't yeah no they have not only the major essences of this alien intelligence in the lady of the lake merlin and guinevere they have supreme nexus knights that are minor pieces of the alien intelligence that are just running around being able to murder people with flaming swords and it's hilarious because the game almost seems like, oh, well, what you're supposed to do is, like, go get together with the good knights and then, like, free the realm from this alien intelligence's influence. But you're like, yeah, no, these guys have an ass load of mega damage and all the powers I don't think you understand. No one is going to do anything to them. This is a common problem you encounter in Rift's world books, is that they usually introduce an intrigue source by the by way of a big city run by some alien intelligence, and they're always like, ah, you may end up in a fight with, with Merlin, and when you do, he has 80,000 MDC and regenerates 5,000 MDC every melee round. Yeah, and I mean... If you do even... <laughs> If you manage to do any damage to him, he'll just teleport away instantly and without fail. Yeah, it's real bad. I mean, not that bad. That is an exaggeration. But still, it's like, oh, I go fight the Lady of the Lake. She has 3,000 mega damage. She knows every spell and psychic ability. And if you go fight her and she starts to lose, she can just be like, all right, did you know one of the spells I know is teleport? Bye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I am. Expe- uh, this is an earlier book, so the, the MDC counts hadn't quite gotten ridiculous yet. Uh, even by the next book, you're looking at the, the I think, war, the the big demon has somewhere in the neighborhood of 26,000 MDC. Well, yeah, because that's supposed to be like one of the big ones. If this book also includes the Celtic gods in it. And of course, if you've got any of the gods, then they actually have the, like, ridiculous level of nonsense. Yeah. So anyway, uh, to get back to the original start of the book, uh, Aaron Tarn is wandering around England with her trusty Cyber Knight companion. They get invited right away by some druids to build, uh, uh, to visit uh, the Millennium Trees, which take up so much more of this book than I thought they were going to. Yeah. I want to say, that's one of the things in this book 
is the layout and flow of the information in here seems real haphazard because yes you start out with the story like you normally would you're like okay i you know got a base level of what's going on by you know aaron tarn just giving me an overview cool all right now what well now it's time for me to tell you about the millennium tree for a long goddamn time also i hope you like herbs but don't worry, the Millennium Tree one day gave me one of its most valuable relics, because I'm an old lady. I sat beneath the Millennium Tree, and it gave me a wand, and all the druids stood up and clapped and went, Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I also, I appreciate that at the end of her story, she's like, Oh yeah, I even made my way to New Camelot, where I found out that King Arthu, his advisor, Mirlin, the Enchanter, and Sir Prickavel are all big fans of my work. Uh, I am not going to mention how all their names are hacky mistranslations of the Pendragon story. That doesn't even occur to me. Aaron Tarn. Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> anyway, yeah, the Millennium Trees are, you know, mile-high super trees. Yeah, they're giant fuck-off trees that have mm -hmm. usually, like, they house a city's worth of people just sort of living in and on and around the tree. And yeah, each one of the trees has, like, a number of apartment buildings hanging from it that look like beehives. It's it's basically got giant acorn condos. Yeah, each one of those is an apartment building capable of housing hundreds of people, which, to me, when you, when you realize how large the tree is and you look at the art and the art's got, like, a ramp with people going up into the tree, how fucking irritating it would be to live in one of those houses. <laughs> when you're like, okay, well, I have to, you know, it's... It's a wheelchair ramp style walk up that goes the entire Empire State Building up. And then I got to walk out along a half mile long branch to get to my house. Oh, yeah. And OSHA ain't here. There's no guardrails. My first question when I was looking at this thing is, where does the poop go? <laughs> Into the tree. You gotta, you gotta Fertilizer, baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, the the amount of effort it would take to live in this fucking thing is ridiculous. You can't farm in the tree. Uh, the trees make it a huge deal about how every single aspect of the tree is either completely indestructible, or, if it's destructible, destroying it causes that area of the tree to locally explode and murder your ass. Yeah, the whole tree has just a giant section on its defenses. And so, mm -hmm. it has... You know, mega damage everywhere, and even if you wanted to break, like, a leaf off of it, if you shoot a leaf off, it explodes for 2d4 times 10 mega damage in a 10-foot radius around the leaf. And you're like, right, okay, which... <laughs> so if I was like, man, I, uh, I'm hungry, and I don't want to, you know, walk the entire length of the Empire State Building, find food, and then walk back up, uh, I, maybe there's some fruit here. I grab some fruit. It explodes and kills you and everyone near you. <laughs> Your apartment building falls to its doom. This is very inconvenient. <laughs> but the, like the amount of damage that you could, I mean, what if you fell off the tree and grabbed a leaf to stay alive and then it, it, you would just kill a bunch of people on your behalf. Now, yes, don't necessarily worry about that because the tree is somehow intelligent. Oh yeah. The tree is like it wants to protect the people that are in it. So if 
it senses that like an outside force or something is going to attack it. It can just whip up a giant ley line storm and murder everything around it except for what's inside the tree. And of course it has thousands of mega damage all over and can regenerate and has every spell and can just sort of, you know, shoot a laser beam for a bajillion damage and I, it's weird because when you first see it in this book, you're like, okay, I guess you don't want anyone fucking with your trees. Great. But then in yeah, later just, books, they're like, and here's the site where someone cut down a millennium tree. And you're like, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's got all these explodey defenses, which honestly, the, uh, the, the biggest explosions that you can, you can see is if you cut a big branch off the tree, it does 2d4 times a thousand mega damage in a 1000 foot area around the branch, which to me means that once you blow up a big branch off the tree, it's going to blow up the rest of the tree. Well, the explosion doesn't hurt it. Oh, it doesn't. That's very specific. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Look at that. A se- uh, accidents seldom result in a damaging eruption of energy. It doesn't say, I, I can't see anywhere in here that, that when you damage the tree, the explosion doesn't damage the tree again. No, the mega damage oh, caused from an there energy eruption right. or ley line storm does not inflict additional damage to the tree. Okay, fair enough. You got me. But that does still mean that the best way to take out a millennium tree is just to hang back and shoot missiles at it. Well, yes, that's the best way to take out anything in rifts. Yeah, but in this case, you're like, oh, this thing will totally explode if you shoot at it. Great, I'll stand more than a thousand feet away. What's it going to do? Blow up at me? Too bad. No, it'll create a storm and murder you. Yes, it will create a leyline storm, uh, which has all kinds of crazy effects, but none of which are directly fatal right away. Also, it has a massive population of fairies and random dragons and uh, sphinxes and giants and crap just living in it, and all of them will immediately attack anyone who attacks the tree. Oh, yeah. It's... (sighs) It's just weird that they decided this is what they wanted to go through because it's not one. It's not like this is the millennium tree and it's this giant, super important tree. There's like a dozen of them just in England. Oh yeah. They're all over the place. There's 11 in England. There's, there's four in Africa for some reason. There's, there's just a whole bunch of them all over the place, including a couple of them in like Iceland uh they're they're everywhere but north and south america apparently and i don't think they're supposed to be any in asia either but the book just conspicuously doesn't even mention asia yeah uh so these things are all over the place there are there is of course an evil one somewhere if you're worried that someone put in too many good guy things oh yeah because one of the things that the millennium tree can do is gift you some stuff so it can give you a leaf that's mega damage armor if you wear it because it's a huge leaf and it can give mm-hmm. you, like, a wand that does stuff, or a staff that does stuff. Or and bark armor. There's all kinds of weird, fun little things that can fall off the tree and be your pals. But you can corrupt those and, you know, change them around and make them more evil or whatever if you want to. But the fact that they included the rules for corrupting any of the wands or staves means later on they're like, Oh, and someone corrupted the whole tree! Yeah, so there's an evil tree, which is ruled over by, I think it's those Gene Splicer guys yeah. that don't get stats until mind works. Yeah, I think the Gene Splicers in the Black Forest of Germany have an evil Millennium mm-hmm. Tree? Yeah, yeah, that that stands to reason, because that's roughly where Mindworks is located. It's mixed between like Black Forest area Germany and Poland. Yeah. 
Uh, so these things take up just page after page with with uh, completely worthless stats because they're they're just good guys. They're just general. Don't wish you any harm. Happy trees that you could live in if you if they weren't full already. Uh, completely full of all kinds of defenses to stop you from interacting with them. You can't get anything off them unless you unless you they want you to get something off them. Yeah, and you'd think they're like, oh, they can give you you know a wand or a staff of you know, great power, and you're like, oh, sweet, what does that do? And you're like, oh, well, if you get the Wand of Life, you can do superior healing for 1d6 hit points. <laughs> yeah, when Erin Tarn gets a wand, she gets a Wand of Life. It's got five little flowers on it, which means it can recover once a day, 5d6 SDC. Nice. Yeah, this is back. This was written back in the days when uh, Simbita was more or less convinced that SDC MDC was a legitimate going concern. Yeah, that, that the, anyone the, was going to be like, "Oh no, I got into a fight with fisticuffs and I took some SDC damage." No, you didn't. No one deals SDC damage. If you take damage in rifts and you aren't wearing armor, you explode into a red mist. Yeah, exactly. So everyone spends all their time in MDC armor and does MDC damage. And even when you see MDC damage things in this book that aren't, you know, explosions coming off the Millennium Tree, they're usually like, oh, King Arthur has Excalibur, but of course it's a tech weapon now, and it's called Caliber X, which I have to be honest, I am amazed the X-Men didn't think of. Hmm. I mean, um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is, this has to be a 90s X-Men thing, right? Nope, they had Excalibur instead of Caliber X. Yeah, but I just figured at some point there'd be some British hero or villain in the X-Men series that would be like, I'm Caliber X, and I'm yeah, Extreme. <laughs> I'm sure it was supposed to have happened, but I honestly have no recollection of whether or not it did. Uh, instead, it's just like this crappy vibro sword with a gun strap to it, uh, and its maximum damage you can do is 3D6 MD. Oh, yeah. And it's hilarious because also later in the book for like Merlin and Guinevere and a lot of the evil stuff they put in here, they're like, hey, hey, these guys are going to take triple damage from Millennium Tree weapons. That 3D6? Mm-mm. 96, baby. Yes, it has several thousand MD. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. You're supposed to stand around it in a group of like 20 and everybody hits it. Oh, yeah, you just That's... get 20 people with sticks and they just start wailing on the old man that is an alien intelligence. Uh, and then, he, assumedly, he doesn't just immediately teleport away. I mean, you hope. All right. So, after the, uh, after the Millennium Trees and its magic items finally come to a halt, uh, it's time to start talking about herbalists. And, oh my god, this is another huge section of this book that it's very easy to forget because it's all very dumb. Yeah, they add an herbalist OCC because they mm -hmm. wanted to put in magic herb stuff. So they were like, all right, uh, we have an entire class that's based around it. They have an entirely new skill called mystic herbology, which mm -hmm. you start, even if you're the OCC for it, and you're like, this is what I do. All I do is like magic herb stuff. And you still start with like a 35% in it. You're like, ah, yes, this is the only power I have. I can do it roughly one third of the time. The other third, two thirds, I might poison myself. 
It's actually one-fifth, 20% plus 5% per level of experience for starting characters with Mystic Herbology. I think you're probably right. I think they get a, a bonus. They start at plus 15. Yeah. So, God, is that ever garbage. Uh, they have several powers in addition to the just general access to herbs to the Herbalist OCC. Uh, they can sense weather conditions 40% of the time. They can increase the potency of tea. Mmm, I made a tea and now it is potent. Now, granted, there are magic teas here that they can double the effect of 40% of the time, but also they can <laughs> they can double the length of time in which a tea stays drinkably warm. Yeah. Don't you hate when you're a character in RPG and you set some tea down and then your DM rolls some dice and goes, I'm sorry, your tea has gone cold. Hmm. Would you like a new cup or uh, to heat this one up? Perhaps you're a living PPE battery. You can simply invest some PPE in heating the tea. Uh, They have all just plant-based powers and it's not anything great because it's got things like i can shrink plants yeah that's right i can make a plant be half its size oh okay that tree is a smaller tree now it's a very binary power to have because the one time it's ever going to come up is when you're dealing with like the d the the uh, gm saying okay there's a really dense thicket and the fairies disappear into it and you can't possibly pursue them and then you're like aha i can temporarily shrink plants And they also Uh, have the (laughs) the ability for shape wood, where it's like, oh, you can basically mold wood like it was clay. You just sort of grab a piece of wood and can, you know, turn it into whatever. Please note, you cannot use this to go through doors or floors. Like, but why? It costs 40 PPE to do. I could just (laughs) shoot a wood door and do that if I'm spending 40 PPE let me shape the door out of the way. Let's make it very po- clear as well that w- while we're talking about that, that 40 PPE is so high that it's not impossible that your herbalist won't be able to do it at all. Oh, yeah. They have they start PPE with costs 2D- for a lot of stuff, and they don't start with a ton. They have 2D4 times 10. It's possible for them to roll less than it costs to shape wood. Yeah. Their shape sculpt plants is 35. It's 30 for shrinking plants. Like, if you rolled minimum, you're like, oh, I'm just the world's worst at this. Yeah, if you rolled minimum, you have one power, and you can use, I think two powers, and you can use one of them twice a day, which is just the ability to identify unknown plant life. Yeah, because that's also a skill is identify plants, but now you can identify alien plants. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least there's no role for it. Uh, if you spend the 10 PPE, yes, you just know what the fucking plant is. Hmm. So, hey, hmm. that's nice. Yeah, and then, you know, the one power they have where it's like, oh, that might be useful is they can animate, like, plants and trees and have them attack you. So you can get attacked by, like, you know, a bunch of trees and shrubs and whatnot. And you're like, oh, that's useful. I mean, yes, they only do, like... 2d6 sdc damage so they are laughably bad ah but there's nothing stopping you from carrying around a lot of vibro swords and crap and hanging them from trees and then animating those trees oh yeah you're like all right trees everybody come get your weapons (laughs) 
Please note that this costs 40 of your PPE and it'll last like a minute or two. Yeah, it lasts two minutes per level. So you're like, all right, I got to set this up in advance because I can't spend time handing weapons out. I have to have already put the <laughs> weapons on them so that when I animate them, I'm like, okay, you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, you have two powers that are basically disappear into the woods. One of them is just like you can walk into the woods and not be seen. And the other one is just turn into a tree, which, you know, just so you know, you're not going to ever be able to cast this one without doing it as a ritual. It costs more than twice or almost twice what you can have for PPE. Yeah. At 150, you're like, oh, you aren't going to cast that. Why is this a power I have at level one? I think it's possible for a max level character who rolled max on every uh, D4 and D6 you ever get to add to your PPE as a druid to cast this once. Yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to be like, oh, well, I need to be on a ley line and get some ley line PPE to cast this, because otherwise doing it by yourself is almost impossible. Yeah. So, you know, good luck uh, heading out to a ley line junction or whatever, just so you can turn into a tree there. Ugh. Now, uh, so that's bad. An herbalist would be nothing without herbs. So let's spend the next 17 pages listing herbs, all mm -hmm. of them, every herb and what they do mm -hmm. and what their magic version does. Did you want to yeah, know what we... magic Belladonna does and what regular Belladonna does? Here it is. Here's the rules for fucking catnip or an ash tree or a cedar tree. This goes on forever. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where they were just for page count. They were like, oh, someone found a list on on 93 Wikipedia for what every holistic herb was supposed to do. Uh, fuck it. Put it in there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's put every single herb you've heard of that can be found in England there. And then also some more other ones. What you got there? Uh, caraway seeds. Why those are used for various female problems. <laughs> Do you have an amaranth potion? Why, that will help you save versus poison. I like to think that female problems is not just a a, a clumsy way of hiding that they're for menstrual cramps. And it, instead being like, oh yeah, these you can use caraway seeds to solve the patriarchy. Yeah, <laughs> all these female problems. Yeah, caraway seeds can be loaded into a gun that will shoot through the glass ceiling. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> uh. So there's just a bunch of these, including the thing is, you're like, all right, I'm playing Rifts. I'm used to it. You roll mega damage. You roll a hit. You roll the dodge. You check to see what your mental endurance is. Is there ever a point where my problem is that I'm not hungry enough? Well, good news, because catnip tea can stimulate the appetite. Yay. Finally. <sighs> and then, yeah, there's there's just an endless list of uh, of magical property thing things that you can buy as well that just... Oh, it's crazy. They, each one of them costs an incredible amount of PPE to turn into anything. Yeah, and so but the thing is, you look at it and you go, oh, if I made an herbalist, there's the only thing it has is the PPE cost. And if I go ahead and take, let's say, rue, I find a shrub that grows anywhere and I make a magic potion out of it. It costs me 40 PPE, so I'll probably be able to do it, and sells for 5,000 credits. At that point, 
you're no longer a player in a game. You've made a shopkeeper because it, you're just going to be like, oh, really? Cool. I just make an ass load of these and sell them all. And then I buy a giant robot and then I'm a real character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, several of them are kind of cheap. Like if you want to make a magic acorn that can, I mean, when I say cheap, I mean, comparatively, it only costs 20 PPE to make a magic acorn. Uh, they sell for 2000 credits, which is a lot of like uh coalition soldiers, monthly salary. Uh, and they have the power of giving you the equivalent of one meal if you eat them. Oh yeah. Great. <laughs> one whole the... meal. In a game where every party has a robot in it. So you don't have to think about encumbrance anyway. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it just goes on like this. And then, you know, it ends on a list of every spell in the game and what's what war, like uh what herb is related to that. It's just it, it, uh, you know what it doesn't even actually end there. That's just where we're done with talking about real herbs because at that point it's time to start talking about uh made up magic DB herbs as drawn I think these are all Wayne Bro and Justin Long drawings where every one of them is just a gross lump. Yeah, just a lump of, you know, tentacles and bits and, you know, petals that have mouths and stuff. And it's all just, here, here's some mega damage plants that'll murder you if you get near them. But if you can get them, you can make something ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, this is one of those sections that I like to look for in Riff's books where you can tell that what happened was they had a lot of art lying around and they put stats to it. They were just like, I don't know, someone drew a bunch of weird plants. Great, put them in. We'll find out. We'll just make up stats. Here's a drawing of a Smurf village. Who gives a shit? Just go. Go, go, go. <laughs> All right, fine. All right. There's magic mushroom buildings. Whatever. Yeah. Who who could possibly care? All right, moving on. It's time to talk about the three kinds of druids. Yeah, well, technically there's four, but one of them is evil and for NPCs only. Right, there's an evil secret druid. Uh, rather than going on a power-by-power -power basis, because we've been spending a lot of time already, I'll just break them down for you. A lot of this book has, and I know John did the research on this, uh, Celtic names that are with pronunciation guides that are wrong. Yes, uh, when I first saw the names of the different druids, I was like, oh, cool. They're using like actual Celtic names of things. And then I didn't realize that they were giving a pronunciation guide. So I went and looked it up. And then I saw the pronunciation guide and went, oh, no, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is, according to this book, the Phil lead, uh, which is basically a druid bard. They have a bunch of entertaining abilities, and they can use their their herb powers for specifically divination. Yeah, the <laughs> the saddest part for me is you have an entire herbalist OCC that can only do that, and then you also have these druids and the dryad, the next one, who's just the master of herb magic, has the same mystic herbology skill as the herbologist OCC at a higher percent. Yeah, the Dryad is just plain a better, uh, I mean, more or less just plain a better uh, herbalist than the actual herbalist, with the small problem that Dryads have crap for S for PPE. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they only have three times their starting PE attribute number, which for most people is going to be like 30, 30 PPE. 
So they're not going to be able to use any cool powers or make any especially good potions outside of doing ritual type magic. Yeah. And then uh, the last one of this grouping is the, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce this one. Uh, I don't know, Skathich? Uh, it's the Skatha. The Skatha, which is sort of like warrior druids. But weirdly, despite the fact that they're supposed to be like the most warlike druids, their biggest ability is the power of making magic cauldrons. Yeah, they uh, introduced magic cauldrons in this, which <laughs> I I think is interesting because they were like, oh, well, we've had, you know, techno wizardry stuff and we've had a whole bunch of like wood things for wands and staves. These guys deal with metal. They're like the blacksmiths who have like cauldrons and hammers and horseshoes and magic manacles and all sorts of stuff. And it's neat. Right. I like it, but as well, you're looking at things like, ah, I'll make a magic cauldron of plenty where if you put a a cup in there, then it can get food or drink. It'll only cost me 700 PPE to enchant. And let's see, how much PPE do I start with? Twice my uh, physical endurance attribute number? Oh, good. I have 18 PPE. Ho-ho! I can't do this. Yeah, I mean, even at a Nexus, like, if you were to go to fucking Stonehenge, you still wouldn't make enough PPE by yourself to successfully make a cauldron. You'd need to either sacrifice people or sacrifice animals. Oh, yeah. Almost all of the creation stuff in this is so beyond the realm of anything a player could do, and it's just, it's a big thing in Rifts of being like, here's some stuff! Uh, technically you could do it no no you can't why are you doing this no, no all this stuff that is listed the scat the the the, the Skathach druid is basic it basically exists as an npc class that they weirdly made into a player class for no good reason yeah like if you wanted to make a player class and your you, your goal in the game was i'm gonna make a hammer that can't be bent can't be dulled uh, first of all how do you fucking dull a hammer <laughs> uh but beyond that uh <laughs> To do that, I'm going to spend my entire life trying to get 110 PPE, and then I'll make a hammer that does hammer damage, like, you know, 2d4 SDC, but it won't be damaged by heat. Okay. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, all right. Well, good. You you sure did it. And then finally, the Millennium Druid, which are just druids that happen to like the trees. They like them Millennium Trees we mentioned earlier. Uh, the trees like them too. So their only power, their only power at all is that they get some free tree toys from the trees. Oh yeah. They have like, oh, here's a bunch of powers you can use. They are only available if you are at the tree. If you leave the tree, you can't use any of these powers. And you're like, well, that's the worst player character OCC. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get a gift from the, they get a bunch of gifts from the tree. So most of them have the good armor from the tree. Uh, and like a staff or something, but they are not going to be great. They are never going to be great. They're just kind of a bad class. Speaking of, up next is this game's contribution to the wild world of Rift's Dragons. Weirdly enough, uh, they were like, ah, here it is, Rift's England, the perfect place to introduce the Chinese dragon. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chinese is a stretch. I mean, yes, it is technically supposed to look kind of like an Asian-style dragon, uh, and it is called the Chiang Ku Dragon. Yep. 
so, I mean, yes, absolutely. It does kind of look like a parade dragon. Uh, but they don't really have any association with China anymore. In fact, they're more strongly connected to Atlantis. Yes, because they're the masters of tattoo magic. Yes, they are the ones who created all those tattoos that Atlantean characters have. So if you're playing a uh, an undead hunter or a tattooed man, then you're getting those pa- powers. Technically, they were invented by these dragons. Yes, and if you would like to play one of these dragons, you can also have magic tattoos that you can use. Please be sure to buy Rift's World Book 2 uh, Atlantis, and then you'll be able to have that. <laughs> uh, these guys are basically just like hard mode corrections to the overpowered nature of the dragons in the original Rift's book. They suck. Uh, if you want to play as one, they just suck. I mean, yeah, you might have a lot of MDC, but you're not going to have particularly interesting stats. You have no access to physical skills, so you're going to have less attacks than everyone else in the party. You have no spells, only crappy psionics, no breath weapon, right down to the point where this species doesn't even have stats for bites and claw attacks. Which is just weird. They are just bizarre. There's a reason that the art is of them holding a dagger, and the, the, uh, one of them holding a dagger, because they might as well have one. Yeah, it's not like they can do anything else. Uh, they are also technically the masters of tattoo magic, which means if you want to roll one up as a player character, you get two tattoos, and that's all you ever get. Uh, I'm sorry, no, you get three more over, over your leveling experience. There's a whole subsection for how to how to create the master of tattoo magic variants on the Chianku, but uh, no instructions on how to access it or play it. Yeah, they're like, oh, if you're a tattoo master, you'll get these. And you're like, okay, where's the rules for being one of those? Ha ha! Rifts! <laughs> and their final ability uh, for evil Chianku dragons only, for no reason, out of nowhere, is their ability to brew a magic mind control potion that gives the, the drinker superpowers. Yeah, it's the... <sighs> The story of like, oh, be careful about the deals you make with supernatural things, because you'll go to one of these dragons and be like, I want to be able to fly. And they're like, well, merely drink this potion, and then you'll be able to fly for two weeks, but then the spell will wear off. But every time you take a drink of one of these potions, you become more and more under their sway. Yeah, by the time you drank nine of their potions... 90% of the time, you will do anything the creator of the drink asks you to do. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it's interesting because they're like, obviously, this is only for evil people, and you would never do this otherwise. But I'm going, if I was in a party, I'd be like, hey, uh, who wants to be able to turn into the thing real quick? Here, here's a potion for it. Yeah, it could cause me to uh, mind control you. But guess what? If the maker of one of these potions drinks their own potion, then all of the power he has over everyone else is immediately stopped. So I'll just hand you one. You can have two weeks worth of being the thing, and I'll just drink one myself and go, well, whoa, no, I don't have power over you. Right. And I guess you could just be you could be a nice guy making these. But of course, this book's got strong structured morality rules. So, no, you can't. You can't do that. Um and that's the end of the Chianku. Then we get the out of nowhere Earth Child and Star Child, which are just a rock guy and a light guy. Uh, they could not be less interesting. The only interesting thing, like the rock guys, like I have some Earth magic powers and mostly I just become the thing as well and punch a dude. But yeah. the Star Child has a light form 
that has, you know, I can shoot lasers, I don't take damage from lasers, I can see wherever I can make fire. Okay, that's all great. But one of them is to just move at literally the speed of light somewhere. I love that one because it's so much worse than just going there normally. They went, they overcorrected so hard on what it does. Except it's all the way amazing in Rift's Earth because you can go, oh, I'm the ultimate courier. Did you want something to go from Rift's England to, let's say, Laszlo in Canada? All right, I am immediately there. At worst, it takes me four days. At the most, yeah, it, but I get there completely safely, no problem. That is true. You you do become an incredible courier. Uh, if you're trying to use it for anything else, though, the minimum amount of time it will take to get anywhere is three minutes. Oh, yeah, which is amazing, because, again, you probably only use this if you're like, oh, I'm trying to travel, like, a ways. It would be several days travel normally. Yeah, that is true. You got me there. So, uh, so there you have, and then they get some psionic powers and stuff too. They're, they're all major psionics and they're basically just supposed to be, I think they're supposed to be connected to Celtic mythology. I mean, it's all just like, ah, we are the, the children of the earth and we gain power from the earth. Ah, we gain power from the heavens. This is all just, you know, standard druid stuff. Right, yeah. I mean, there's a little section under the Star Child where it's like, this mystical character is also known as the Shining One, or Child of Lu, or a different spelling of Lu, an ancient Celtic god. The powers of the Shining One uh, focus on stun stars and light of all kinds. Yeah. There's so there stats for Lu in this book. <laughs> Up next, for some reason, uh, another mark off the old uh, Riff's bingo card is introduced two similar species that exist entirely so that they could be in opposition to each other. Yep. They are two different insecty species that hate each other. They absolutely despise each other and will try and kill each other if they ever see each other. And one of them is human with weird bug traits. And mm, the other the one is just mantis people, basically. Yeah. And you don't really see much about how they have to do it with anybody else. Like, technically, I think the da bugs are the meaner ones. Like, they're, they're those are the to be evil more, ones. Yeah, yeah, they're a little eviler. Uh, they're both optional player characters, but these are the these are the ones who are slightly eviler, and they're a little more spidery. Where the other species, the mantas sectal, uh, is the mantis one, and they are good or anarchist, most or anarchist. Yes, uh, so. This is a common thing you see in Riff's world books is they'll introduce two species that seem pretty similar and they're just like, they fucking hate each other. If you play as one of these, get ready to hate the other one. Yeah. There's some monsters in here. Who cares? They're just whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's the Cernum Mystic, which is all. Yeah, there's a bunch of monsters. The only the last thing you could play as was the Cernum Mystic, which is a lizard man who weirdly can control the type of giant you can find in the conversion book. Yeah, it's. Honestly, it's just one of the five different lizard wizards you can be in Rifts. Great. And then we hit the temporal stuff, which for I don't know why it's in Rifts, Earth, or, or England. I don't know why it's here. But there's time wizards in this. Oh, you know what? It just occurred <laughs> to me why they're in here. Never mind. I just got it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you got why there are time wizards in England. I heard, I heard it. As soon as I said it out loud, I heard it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> there are, are three different powerful. types. Uh, mm -hmm. there's 
a temporal wizard who is a time mage that's only focused on casting spells, a temporal warrior who is a like fighter that sort of subsidizes his abilities with spells. So it's like, oh, I only focus on the combat appropriate things. And then there is the temporal raider, which is its own species it's- that teaches mm-hmm. people how to use time magic and it looks, I mean, this is going to be a cut for literally only me. There was a Christian comic book <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and, great start. Great start. And the picture of the Temporal Raider looks exactly like one of the villains who was essentially, like, possessed by the devil. Looks 100% like almost traced like it. Huh. Yeah, that's that's completely lost on me. But yeah, they're like vaguely exoskeletonal, long-armed, creepy demon people who will take people under their wing to become uh, either a master warrior of time or a master wizard of time. Uh, when I was a kid, this th- these two classes confused the ever-loving fuck out of me and my DM because they have all this shit about what level they start at. Where every other thing you play as in this whole game starts at level one, these guys... They're like, oh, in order to play as one of these, you have to swear yourself to years of servitude. And after 10 years, you'll be level three. Yeah, they like, all have like, oh, you if you want to start at level one, because everyone's starting at level one, then you had six years that you followed around this temporal raider. OK, great. Right. But it has but, the options for starting at like third level or fifth level. Mm-hmm. With with a weird issue where you'd be like, okay, well, what if I start as a first level one and then I just get to third level? Do I get these extra bonuses to save versus horror factor? I an SDC for some reason? I assume not. No, it's because that was part of your toughening up and experience being taught by the uh the Temporal Raider, which is also why the higher up you go in years of servitude and starting level, you also get penalties and insanities. And you're more likely to be evil. Uh, yes. It becomes increasingly harder to stay in the good alignments. Mm-hmm. They get access to a whole list of of uh, temporal magic spells, which are basically, I mean, they're not amazing, but they are almost assuredly the best spells and riffs. It's the best access to spell list. The moment temporal magic got published, every one of the gods and alien intelligences that just is like, I know every spell of every type, got a million times better. Oh, yeah. I was a... Uh, uh temporal not a wizard i was the temporal uh fighter warrior in one of my games of rifts and even just like two or three of the spells in here are absolutely game breaking yes they really are uh because they just fuck with time and they mess your shit up real good and you can uh, mess with dimensions so you can turn yourself two-dimensional and just sort of be go sideways and no one can see you or act like you're a painting on a wall. There's also turn yourself fourth dimensional, which is amazing. Yes, it, it is. It is a uh, crazy, crazy powerful to turn yourself fourth dimensional. Granted, it does cost a 350 PPE to pull it off and it's considered a 14th level spell. Oh yeah. And of course the longer you are a fourth dimensional being, the more crazy you go. I love how it gives you, for some reason, a bunch of new psionic powers. When you when you are four four dimensional, you have access to a couple of psychic powers. 
only one particularly good one, uh, which is Sixth Sense. I mean, yeah, you get the superpower of telemechanics, but it doesn't fucking matter. But you also get 1,200 ISP to play with. Yep. Fucking incredible. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's mostly just you have the power of PPE shield and stuff like that. So you're like, oh, great. I'll just pump ISP into that and be like, yeah, I got a force field made out of my ability to be in the fourth dimension. I don't care. Anyway, after that, it's just time to start talking about the Knights of Camelot, uh, which... I mean, you we know, have. They, they, we, we've talked a lot about them. Can you play as one? Yes, there's a couple different boring, boring, very boring knight OCCs buried in the back of the book here that you can play as. If you want to play as just a knight, go right ahead. It comes with a list of the names of Arthurian knights that didn't get taken by dragons and secret dimensional creatures. Yeah. In and, case you want to play as Gawain or whatever. And you can tell that this came out very early and very close to Vampire Kingdoms because they're like, oh, if you're a knight, part of your standard equipment is a mallet and 1d4 wooden stakes. What? Why? What? It's so far from Mexico. There I mean, are I no know vampires that... here. I know they keep trying to set up the idea that vampire intelligences are a relatively common occurrence on Rift's Earth. They're not just in Central America. They're actually all over the place. But you know, a lot of people strongly associate the vampires with Mexico in this setting. Yeah. And a lot of the time they'll even have things that go out of its way to be like, oh, because there is some other alien intelligence here, there aren't any vampires. So like, because the Zilshan or whatever that's pretending to be Merlin and whatnot is there, you probably don't have vampire intelligences because it's already been staked out. Uh, yeah, uh, you exactly. get it staked yeah. out. Eh. No, notably, uh, eh. in another attempt to talk, eh. yeah, I, I do, I do get staked it. I out. do get it. I heard it. Vampires. I heard it. it was very good. Mm-hmm. Staked mm-hmm. out. Staked out. Vampires. Yes, yes. You have a garlic joke too. You want to do that one? <laughs> no, that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be in poor taste. Oh no! I'm the ah! one who's the bad one. <laughs> you get it. Poor taste is garlic, huh? You get it? Oh, now I get it. I feel like I did a minute ago with the time <laughs> wizard thing. Uh, uh, I hate my life and also by extension yours. Uh, so yeah. Uh, oh, After so, that uh, so- is oddly a thing that you don't get a lot of in later books, which is they just sort of break down every single tiny city and settlement that exists throughout all of the aisles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just so uh, they can draw in some connections to previous books. Like, there's a Pogtal giant at one point, uh, which is a thing from Vampire Kingdoms. Uh, there's a reference to how the Splugorth have taken over one of the cities. Yep, they took uh, over Lo- London. Yeah, so so London is part of the Splincrith Empire. Yeah, it is London of Splin, and if you go to London, it's all just slavers and overlords and blind warrior women and whatnot just hanging out being evil but it also is interesting to me because they're like oh yeah but a lot of people that are like the evil monster things will come to england to just sort of hang out and chill and it's a vacation spot so you're like oh no we have to get in a fight and they're like please i'm on vacation (laughs) yeah it's just everyone there is kind of chill and relaxed they're like come on guys we're in London. Take the tube somewhere. Just enjoy life. Yeah. 
but it's there's a lot of stuff so if you're like oh did you want to know what happened to yorkshire well here it is here's one paragraph about how there's a millennium tree nearby anyway yep so there's just an endless list of that kind of stuff the different druid factions that are battling over random druid things and then it kind of expands outward and talks about ireland a little bit of germany uh what's going on with iceland and france like i said we have the uh the celtic gods get statted out so Mm -hmm. you know if you wanted to know that lou the shining one has sixteen thousand three hundred mdc there you go it is nice to know that that shit's in here because uh it takes a long time for the next riffs world book that uh or not world book uh what is that conversion book two i think is pantheons of the megaverse yeah it's just an entire book of Hey, did you want a bunch of, like, tens of thousand MDC gods? Here! Why do you want this? Well, Pantheons of the, Me- Pantheons of the Megaverse is also, uh, speaking of the Rift's bingo, it's one of the most, or worst excesses of Palladium style, where it's like, here's the, uh, here's the Greek gods. Here's a mercenary company that's copying the Greek gods. Here's a mercenary company that's in opposition to the previous mercenary company that's copying the Greek gods, which is copying the Greek gods. Oh, yeah, they're like, here's a mercenary company that's being the Greek gods. Here's one that's named after the Roman gods. Right. They hate each other. And you're like, why would they even be in the same storyline? Wouldn't your party get bored of encountering Apollos after a while? (laughs) You'd be like, ah, yes, I am Ares. And some asshole shows up and is like, I'm Mars. Let's fight. (laughs) And the party's like, how many times are you going to have us meet the war guy? I'm sick of this. Why are there so many stats for so many different versions of this one guy? Uh, Ugh. God, that book sucks. (laughs) I was considering that for this episode. Oh, it is atrociously bad. Hey, John. Hey, Jeff. (laughs) Hey, you know that we are technically, like, on paper, kind of part of a network? Yeah, it's weird, because it's not like we do anything with them or care about them at all, so, you know. No, not even um, if anything we're just there to be antagonistic it's it's a goal of mine to ruin james from the inside well yeah we all know that james loves anime so uh he definitely wanted a rival and i guess we're it yeah that's us uh, we're going to unite the world in devastation or whatever that that poem is you know the one i'm talking about right the 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 famous the, the poke man you know one. you know the the pokies man god yeah, grandpa one. Let Brock fuck. I'm just saying. Let Brock. Would it be so bad if he fucked just once? Let Brock fuck Ash. That's my no. Well, sure, whatever. When, when, if they're consenting and it's legal, I don't know how old Ash is. Is he supposed to be like ten? Uh, I think he starts as at ten, and he should be like thirteen or something by now. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's thirty-five. Well, yeah, probably he should I'm be. Not, yeah, he's thirty-five. He's balding. That hat's load-bearing now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we are technically part of the One Shot Network, and we're supposed to be reading ads for every one of the other shows on the network from time to time. Yeah, we are. I mean, we did it at one point. I think we did about 12 episodes in a row, remember to do it, and now there's like 15 new shows. Yeah, who can keep up with all of these new exciting shows? I wasn't even listening to the old ones. The it's old exciting shows. It's too many. I make content. I don't listen. If I listen to every episode that shows up on the One Shot Network, like throughout the week, I think that would be most of my job. Yeah, I'm they like a shark. I gotta things. keep swimming. I can't stop mm-hmm. to listen. 
urge to tell you that's a myth rising. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm so smooth, regardless of how you pet me, like a shark. God damn it. Smooth from every angle. <laughs> like a like a smooth lion. Anyway, I, I think it's probably time that we actually do help pitch another show. What do you say? You want to do a, a quick ad read? Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay. I'm going to start us off. Uh, co-op mood is... You know what? Fuck it. Shane, hi. Hi. I've been here the whole time. Yep. Absolutely. Of course. Uh, everybody from the network is in our room when we record at all times. Yeah. I, I mean, we're trying not to ruin the track, but it's getting increasingly difficult to, to not intervene in this whole Brock Ash situation. Oh, yeah. You got any thoughts on that? You, got, you want anything you want to add? All negative. All negative. Not not going to get through the uh, through the censors on that one. <laughs> I'm just saying every time I ever watch that show... All I remember was Brock trying to score with random nurses and police officers and then getting dragged off by the ear by like a 10 year old girl who was like, how dare you? And I was like, what? He's like 20. Let him let him get some. Who cares? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But anyway, you have a show and I believe your partner, who is definitely also here because everyone from the network is in the room for all of our episodes. Sally is here. So, Sally, you know what? Why don't you finally use that microphone? That you, okay. Yeah. There. Oh my gosh, it works. Here I am. It's been annoying setting up forty-six microphones for every single recording, uh, but particularly <laughs> because I had mine set up to another computer or something when we started. But now I'm. I'm. I got it set up. I'm here. I'm ready. Uh, I feel like I've been read in on Brock and Ash. Also, sharks didn't know that was a myth. Thought they died. They stopped swimming. Uh, so I feel like I'm learning a lot, oh, and I'm ready. Well, yeah. I mean, sharks is a big ass order of animals. So there's some of them that have to be swimming all the time, but a lot of them. Nurse sharks, for example, can simply hang around on the bottom. In fact, a lot of them are ambush predators and would die if they did move because they wouldn't get any food. God, who knew? I just, my reality is crumbling mm-hmm. here, here and now. I know. It's all coming apart, and I apologize that it has to happen here and now. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, on the way out, why don't you tell people what your show is? Okay, so our show is called Co-op Mood, and uh, we like to call it a casually serious conversation about playing video games. Mm-hmm. Uh I think you guys can probably appreciate, as as can your listeners, that if the funnest thing is to play tabletop role-playing games, the second funnest thing is to talk about tabletop role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And co-op mood was, we started it, Shane and I started it with that same idea about video games. You know, the, the funnest thing is to play them. The second funnest thing is to talk to your friends about playing them. Mm-hmm. So it's a place where Shane and I get together every other week and uh, we pick a topic and we just kind of uh, shoot the shit. Makes sense, yeah, we, right, Shane? We kind of meander through whatever whatever comes to us, whether it's David Cage or uh, The Last of Us or uh, what else have we done? Role playing games. We talked about like tabletop games. Yeah, we talked about games. I was just listening to the David Cage and role playing game episode. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Uh, the the basic concept of gamify or taking video games and turning them into role playing games is something I see discussed constantly all over the place. So it's nice to see people uh, take it to that next level. Yeah, we we tried to mm-hmm. uh, not reinvent the wheel, but t- take it to another level. I'm glad that it that it sounded like we were doing that. Uh, <laughs> we've also talked about like war, the way war is portrayed in video games uh, and other things too that I can't uh, remember. Yeah, we did our homework right for now. this. You know, the thing is we've been in the room for like a hundred episodes now and mm-hmm. you've never called on us to talk. So we didn't actually do our homework for this one. It's like we've no. been called out in class. Totally this get is it. the yeah. one time I didn't review my notes before before you unmuted our mics. And, and just to be clear, your notes are what your own show is and what you do on your own show. Yeah, 
but but we do it bi-weekly so it's tough to remember you know you caught mm-hmm. us on an off week oh gosh I'm yeah. So, yeah that that is fair I, I i'm a few days out from recording our own bi- bi-weekly show which i assume is about games of some kind so i'm right there with you <laughs> well given that your introduction to most of our episodes you forget what it is mid talking about it that seems fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you've got me there um that's that's john everybody that's john he's on our show uh, I just want to get throw a quick introduction to him. Hi, John. How are you doing today? Oh, hey, it's so good to be here. You know, I have a show I'd like to plug. <laughs> so that's Co-op Mood. Where can people find it? You-, uh, you can find it. Yeah, you, you go for it, Shane. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Simplecast. You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, all the usual, uh, as well as at OneShotPodcast.com. Great, and that's co-op mood. Uh, I believe because you've got a dash in there, it's going to fuck with everyone's bullying and googling. But that's okay; they'll be able to find it. They're good at that shit. We thought real hard about that dash. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm you, absolutely. You can find sure. us on Twitter at co-op mood podcast with no punctuation, though. Oh, so coop mood the uh, the coop podcast mood. about about chicken raising. Yep, uh, it's a it's a Stardew Valley uh, narrowcast. <laughs> The first ever podcast focused entirely on the main character of Magus XLR. <laughs> Good luck, nerds. No one's going to remember that. All right, everybody. <laughs> All right, back up All into right. the bleachers with everyone else. Yeah, yeah, everybody. I, I can see Victoria trying to get ready to push broadswords, and we got to stop that before it happens. She'll get her turn. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you, Shane. Thank you, Sally. Check out Co-op Mood, everybody. John, let's return to the show. As I mentioned in the intro, we did this book this week, and I think we're kind of winding down now anyway. We did this book this week because I've got a bunch of medical crap going on that's kind of eating up all my my spare time. Yeah. Uh, And so I don't really have time to read it. I didn't really have time this week to read a super complicated book. So we went to something we know. uh, And if you were wondering where all the rules and whatnot for this are, just go listen to the Rifts episode or one of the many other Palladium games we've reviewed. We don't really need to get into... Like, how you make a character in this. But if you did want to know more about characters in this, you can go to patreon.com slash system mastery at the bare bones price of $1 level. Why, we're going to make characters in Rifts, England. Uh Uh-huh, we sure are. I can't wait to tell people all about it. And don't worry, uh, even if the medical crap continues, which it's going to, we're not just going to keep doing old Riffs books. It's just that in the future, if things get worse... I will. We, we have this to call on. We're gonna we're gonna take a fun tour of the dumbest shit in riffs. I can't but wait until, until then, we do another riffs book and everyone's like, "Oh God, Jeff is dying." <laughs> yes, though, actually. Yes, but actually. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's riffs so hard world to get... book for Africa. Jeff's farewell tour. Oh God, it's so hard to get surgery. I need it. Um, Anyway, to get off that topic, yeah, go on down to patreon.com slash system mastery and help me get surgery. I I mean, support us at the $1 level to get access to that sweet bonus content. Uh, yes. And of course, there is so much more there, so much more content at all of the other levels. We are putting out stuff all the time just for you. Just for you and for us, because we love doing this. Oh, gosh, do we ever. Hell yeah, brother. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the bonus content. Until then, I hope you all have a wonderful week.